look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popowich. How you doing, buddy? Freezing. How about you? Well, Jeff Bezos <clears throat> steps down, and I learned something new. What? You and Jeff have something in common. Well, it's certainly not the $200 billion he's got in no, his bank no, account. No, we're what not is talking it? about the money. We're talking about both of you have less hair than I do. Oh. It's pretty cool. I had to bite my tongue there. It's I had pretty a spectacular cool. reply, I, I but I it saw was probably, on your face, probably not. But it's true. Friendly. That's one thing you can go home now, tell your wife, I have something in common with Jeff Bezos. <laughs> okay, I will. That's not what I was hoping, but uh, I'll take the $200 billion. Okay. Uh, yeah, of course you would. Whatever. I've got some hair, at least. That's good news. For, For now. <laughs> For now. That's right. It seems to want to migrate away from my head, but yeah, that's okay. scared of your face. Yeah, that's <laughs> all it is. <laughs> Listen, we're gonna, we've got a pretty cool show today because we want to talk a little bit about uh, a common question that we hear from people. Yep. When do I invest in an RSP? And when do I invest in a TFSA? And how do I make that decision? Correct. It's a, it, it is one of the most common questions we get every RSP season. Yep. Yeah. And, get, and, and we'll reference some resources that you can pull off, do some reading if you have any questions about it, but we can give you an answer Correct. on that. The other thing is lifestyle, pal. We talk about this a lot. Like, we're, everybody's doing all this work, and they're doing the planning and everything else. They should be for a purpose. The purpose is some experience that they want to have in, yes. like, in retirement. Now, have we got a cool experience to talk about today? You ever thought about going into the beautiful waters of the, you know, the Caribbean and renting a yacht or living on a yacht for a while and just floating around? Yeah, that'd be great. Wouldn't it be cool? I, don't, I think everybody would dream of that at some point. I'm, sh- I'm not sure most people do that. We're going to talk to a couple who actually made it their retirement to do that. Look at that. Amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, let's, um, let's talk about um, the market. So you, you talked about, um, uh, about Bezos stepping down, and yep. that was big news, of course. Um, a bit of a shock to the market. Shocker. Yep. Right? Um, I remember reporting on Amazon stock that day. It was down a couple of percent. Even though the pedigree of the guy taking over is, uh, is strong, he's <laughs> well-known. Yeah. Right. Um, I think the, the culture of that organization is intact. And, and really, he's taken a page out of Bill Gates's book, right? He's moving to the executive chair Correct. position. And uh, so he's not totally removing himself from the company. So that was an interesting story. But listen, I've had, we had, we came off, um, not this past week, but the week before when you were reporting. And that was all, remember all the craziness that came up? Yep. Right? Um, <laughs> GameStop, and, shorting of stocks. Right. All that Reddit, Reddit stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then it reversed itself this week, and that creates a lot of confusion. I'm talking to people this week, and they're going, well, you know, what's going on here? Yeah. And um, there's lots of things I'm sure you want to talk about. I wanted to talk about sort of the pillars of the rally and help people understand, really, we can get hit with all kinds of things that create turbulence. Yeah, there are some key <clears throat> things that you should look at uh, when you're evaluating the market and the economy. Yeah. And... Um, you call them some pillars, where, you know, and I think that's a very good terminology to use because people are grasping at anything that's on the news or anything that they see or read on social media. Right. And there is no structure and definitely no discipline Correct. when they're looking at this information and applying it to their portfolios. And I'm not just talking about do-it-yourself investors. I'm even talking about people in our industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Right. And so the amount of conversation going around about, let's call it GameStop, Reddit, Bitcoin, everything else out Mm -hmm. there. The most common conversation I've had this week is people talking about those subjects and we don't even have it in our portfolio. 
Yeah, and most people don't. Like mo- mo- most people don't do it. And but let's talk about the the pillars. So I would call that noise when you've got pillars. Like when you're forming a strategy, right? Yeah. And and what are you investing foundation, in? Foundation. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a foundation. That foundation can get shaken by different things. But the question is, what what's the foundation of the pillars that you're focused on? And then do the you know the things change around those pillars? And so this market rally is predicated on a few things, right? Yeah. Number one, um, earnings. Right? Are earnings going to support the valuations that that the market has, you know, uh, put on on say the S and P five hundred companies. I'll come back to that. Uh, vaccination, right? What's the rollout look look like? And are we marching towards wider vaccination Where? or not? Let me let me jump in there, buddy. Fair. Okay. So when you say vaccination, people are saying in Alberta it's terrible. Correct. Correct. And let's get to that. Okay? okay. Let's talk about that. Okay. But that's a pillar, right? If COVID is one of the the problem that created the pandemic created this problem, then we have to keep our eye focused on that as as one of the pillars. Um, and so let's talk about uh, sort of the bro- the broad. Did you have a third one? Oh, uh, stimulus. Sorry, stimulus. Thank stimulus, you. Earnings, yeah. COVID vaccine, and stimulus. Those right. are the three areas, pillars, or the foundation of where the economy is heading in the near term. Right. Okay. All right. So, okay, that's a broad statement. There's things that shake it. Like you said, we've had lots of conversations with people that are, you know, upset about Keystone. And the impact on the our local economy and the vaccination rollouts and the delays we've seen in Canada and Alberta and mm-hmm. what's happening in Calgary. Um, so l- l- let's talk about the, I guess, the bigger picture versus the emotional reaction that we sometimes experience when, uh, like my mom as an example, two weeks ago was one day away. She was scheduled to get her vaccination. She's in a long-term care facility. Yeah, We ran out of vaccine. It's been delayed. I haven't heard now when that's going to be coming right yeah. there's an emotional impact when you hear stuff like that for sure right that doesn't change the fact my emotional impact doesn't change the fact that vaccines are rolling out globally different paces in different places okay it's actually having an effect in currency markets we can talk about that if you're interested correct right um, so the market is looking at that stuff but the foundation of vaccines in place more coming and more rolling out all the time is in fact true every day more and more people get the vaccine correct that means there's more and more people that are going to be able to be confident, secure enough to spend their money. Right. That means the economy is recovering. Correct. Okay. So there is an impact on that. So think of that as as a as a understanding of what's going on. Every day somebody gets the vaccine. One poor person gets the vaccine. And in, in this case, it's hundreds of thousands of people around the world are getting the vaccine every single day. Okay. If we're going to, if that means they are more confident in spending, regardless of the amount that they're spending, they're spending money, which is a stimulative viewpoint in the economy. Mm-hmm. Well, then things are going to get better at some point in the future. Some point meaning the operative word here. Correct. What we tend to do is see that's the that's the thesis. Give me the evidence that proves that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you and I've been talking about COVID currencies. Mm-hmm. So, for example, here in Canada, our Canadian dollar has fallen mm-hmm. versus the U.S. dollar even though the price of oil has been going up. Right. Okay. Normally, we've been known as the petrodollar. As well, oil. there's a 90, last three months, a 90% correlation to our dollar and the price of oil. And then all of a sudden, things have changed. Right. Okay. So what's, what's the rationale behind that? Let's look at the evidence of what we call the COVID currency. If COVID vaccines are improving in certain areas, their currencies are going up. Let's take a look at that and see what the facts are. U.S. versus Canada. U.S. is doing better than Canada. Checkmark for U.S. currency. Europe is doing not Worse. as well yep. as the U.K. Mm-hmm. U.K.'s sterling up versus the euro. Even though the U.K. had 
you know, weirder stuff going on with variants and stuff. Correct. Their situation was probably worse than Europe from a virus perspective. Correct. But the, how aggressively they're d- administering the vaccine Correct. is better than and Europe. And when we say Euro, we really mean <clears throat> Germany, Italy, France. Right. You know, peripheral right. will not have as much of an impact to that currency because it's, it's a unified currency. So when you start looking at these different places and seeing where they're recovering from the economy, that's where capital is going to flow. That gives us proof and evidence that our thesis is somewhat correct. Mm-hmm. That's a good pillar to start with. Sure, absolutely. Um, now, think about the fact that we've got to get from today to the future, right? I mean, the march is forward. It's not backwards. That's the positive. But we still have to get from today to the future. Um, on Friday, I was reporting uh, jobs numbers in both Canada and the United States. In Canada, they look terrible. Um, in the U.S., under expectation. So stimulus is still an important piece of it. It's pretty much done. It's a done deal. $1.9 trillion is pretty much a done deal coming out of the United States. Correct. And so you've got stimulus not just on a fiscal and a monetary basis, but we've also got pent-up demand coming. Correct. Right? Which is consumer behavior. This is going to be very interesting to see over the next three quarters of how we've got more money coming out of the government, more money coming out of the central banks, and we've got money sitting on the sidelines ready to be spent in some format. That's interesting. That is interesting. And then let me finish with this notion of, of uh, earnings. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, so about half as of, um, let's call it the close of business on... Thursday night. So this would be the most recent data I've got. About half of the companies, a little over half of the S&P 500 companies are reported. Correct. Okay. Now, we come into the uh, this year with a price earnings multiple about 22 times expected 2021 earnings for the S&P 500 companies. Correct. And that would be at the high end of historical, right? So expensive. And this is the concern that we get from people. Yeah. Okay. Now, you need two things to happen if, if equity markets can continue to move, move forward from an earnings perspective. You need to have earnings beats, right? So if you want to bring that multiple down, Earnings right? have to accelerate have. faster than expectations. Yeah. Well, they have to, first of all, beat, and then forward guidance has to accelerate those beats. Correct. Those are the two things. And if we do that, then you're not going to have that expensive multiple. It'll come down. And what we're finding, given half of the companies uh, reporting their fourth quarter so far, their Q4 of last year, is 83% have beaten expectations. Mm-hmm. That's above the historical average. Correct. And they beat it by over 17%. And that's five times the historical average of the beats. Correct. So analysts were very conservative and or um, companies have done much better in responding and recovering and or both of those things. These, so the earnings story is interesting the too. The earnings story is interesting. The COVID currency is interesting. The vaccine and the stimulus is interesting. What will be, what's going to continue happening is as we start seeing local issues come up, local meaning Canada, we're going to still see some issues with people saying, I don't want to be in the market, I don't want to take this kind of risk, and so forth, which I love. Mm-hmm. Stay away from the market if you don't want to be in there. That's fine. Right. But people are going to sell for unnecessary reasons, and that means it's shopping time. That's right. I love it. Okay. Uh, let's leave it at that. There's lots more we could go into, but we have to make sense of all this in terms of a strategy to help support a lifestyle. And that's yep. what we're going to talk about at our upcoming summit. Our five-pillar investment strategy will be discussed on Tuesday, February 23rd, 7 p.m., live online. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. All right, stick around after the break if you've been confused or want to know about when you should contribute to an RSP versus a TFSA. You're on 770 CHQR in More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. We've got Jimmy Golenbeck joining us again today, a regular recurring guest and contributor to More Than Money. He's a managing director, tax and estate planning at CIBC Private Wealth. Faisal, we get lots of questions about, um, you know, should I contribute to an RSP or should I contribute to a TFSA? How do I make that decision? Yeah. 
And we shed some light on it. It's that. interesting because when you ask the question, what's the concern, it's very emotive. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, well, the government's going to tax me when I take the money out. In a right. TFSA, I don't have to take any penny tax. Right. What we're missing is the process between today and when you take the money out and what's the real numbers. And of course, when you have when you need real numbers and when it comes to tax, you got to bring in Jamie Goldenbeck. Jamie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back. Okay, well, let's uh, let's get to it. Let's let's talk a little bit about when you should let's start with the RSP. When what what should somebody be thinking about uh, to determine whether or not they be, should be contributing to an RSP? Yeah, well, I think at the outset, I would say, look, if you have money to do both, obviously you want to do both, okay? But what we're really, the debate that we keep coming back to every RSP season is if I have limited money because I still have all these expenses and things like that, and I can't maximize both an RSP and a TFSA because clearly both of them beat non-registered investing, and we can come back to that later, then, you know, how do you choose? And I think it really comes down to your expectation of your tax right later on. If you're in a relatively high bracket right now, middle to high bracket, and when you retire, you will be in a lower bracket like most people, not everyone, most people will be in a lower bracket when they retire because they don't have their source of employment income, business income, et cetera. They're living on investments and on register plans. Then I would say the RSP wins out. You're getting a deduction at a high rate and you have an income inclusion at a low rate. On the other hand, if someone's in a low bracket, I would call low anywhere under $45,000 a year. Your tax rate is very, very low. I'd pay the tax now on my money, take the after-tax amount, contribute that to a TFSA because you can only go up later on. So why not enjoy the tax-free benefits in both plans, which, by the way, are mathematically identical. The only difference comes down to the tax rate at the time of contribution versus the tax rate at the time of withdrawal. So, so, Jamie, here's a here's a conversation I had with uh, a client's child. Okay, uh, the child calls me up and says, "Faisal, should I put money in my RSPs?" Well, I was like, "Well, yeah, you should. Long term, it's it's a good idea." I go, "What do you need the money for? What's the objective of the money?" Well, I might need it to go on a trip, or I might need it to buy a house, or I might need it for multiple um, objectives. And I go, "Then why are you looking at the RSP as the solution if it's not for retirement savings?" And I think sometimes Canadians try to put all of their objectives into two different tax-sheltered vehicles, either RRSP or TFSA. So walk us through when should we be really considering the TFSA and not the RSP outside of a tax perspective. Oh, absolutely. And you brought up probably the biggest concern. We hear this all the time when I try to write these articles is, you know, what is the purpose of the funds? If your purpose is short term, in other words, you want the money short term, the TFSA is your way to go because of the flexibility. You can contribute to a TFSA, have the money earn tax-free investment income and growth, take the money out tax-free anytime you want. And the best part, of course, is that you can recontribute all amounts withdrawn, not just the contributions, by the way, all amounts withdrawn contributions, income, and growth back to your TFSA beginning the following calendar year. That is not something you can do with an RSP unless you have new RSP room based Mm -hmm. on your earned income. So that's the additional flexibility that you have with the TFSA, the ability to to recontribute back. Of course, you mentioned briefly, you know, buying a home. I would argue that they're still, uh, they're both both good options because the RSP allows you to borrow money out of the home buyer's plan. The TFSA allows you to take money out to buy a home, and both of them can certainly be repaid back. You know, it speaks, um, Faisal, to getting proper advice, right? There's different mechanisms in each of these different types of accounts, tax sheltering and non-tax shelter, TFSA, RSP, whatever it might be, um, which 
can be either advantageous or detrimental, depending on what the purpose of the funds are ultimately designed to do. Jim, you alluded, alluded to earlier um, some math. Now, math doesn't make for good radio, but <laughs> can, you, can you help people understand the power of the tax-free compounding of growth? So when you're comparing, say, um, TFSA, RSP, some of the math you do there to, um, to demonstrate the power of that over time versus tax-exposed accounts. Can you, can you go through that and give people a sense of the impact of that? Yeah, I mean, again, very hard to do the math on the radio. Certainly, I encourage people to read the article. People can contact uh, you guys for a copy of it. It's certainly available online. But basically, the bottom line is that the rate of return that you're getting on your net RSP contribution is effectively tax-free. And you're getting the same type of return on the on the TFSA. It's completely tax free. So the real benefit of the RSP, other than a change in tax rates, you know, high now and low later, is the fact that if you didn't put money into the RSP, you end up paying tax right now on that employment income that you do, or business income that you didn't put into the RSP, and that means that you have less money to invest. And when you invest that in a non-registered account, whatever type of income you earn is going to be taxable as opposed to the RSP, you have more money working for you. And effectively what's happening with that money is that you're investing it inside of the RSP. You're earning effectively a tax-free rate of return because when you take the money out, yes, you are going to pay tax on the withdrawal. When you actually compare the differences, you'll see that, in fact, the investment income on the net contribution, net meaning the amount you've contributed, less the tax-effective amount, is actually zero. There is actually no tax on the growth of the RSP. It's exactly mathematically the same as the TFSA, and people can even go online and Google, you know, Golombek uh, RSP versus TFSA or CIVC, and you're going to find the articles that we've written about this. We have numerous reports, numerous examples proving the math uh, behind all of that stuff. What about the kill two birds with one stone mentality? Mm. Put the money in the RSPs, take your tax refund, put that in TFSA or pay down debt. Um, that's a strategy or an idea that many people have thought of uh, as, a, as a way of hitting multiple goals. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, look, it's just a mishmash. It's obviously not the right thing to do if you make a mathematical decision about retirement rates. In other words, if you don't have the money to maximize both, doing a bit of some and a bit of the other is basically you know, rolling the dice. Uh, if you think you're going to be in a lower tax bracket, I know I'm going to be in a lower tax bracket when I retire. I'm going to make sure that I maximize my entire RSP before I put one cent into the TFSA. If I get a refund from my RSP, you know what I do? I put it back into the RSP to catch up on 2021's contribution or on any prior years that I might have missed. So this idea of doing a bit of both, it may make sense in some cases where you want that flexibility that we talked about earlier. You're saving for a wedding reception. You got to buy a new car. You have a leaky roof. Uh, you're saving for some other occasion where you want to use the flexibility of the TFSA. But at the end of the day, it comes down to the math. If you have a pretty good idea that you're going to be in a lower tax bracket later on, all the money should go into the RSP. And at the end of the day, the refund should go back into the RSP until you've fully maximized your room. Jamie, thanks for your input, um, all your work. And uh, if anybody wants, a copy of these articles, they can certainly contact us and we'll uh, we'll get you that copy. Thanks for your time again today, Jamie. My pleasure. Take care, guys. All right. We've been joined by Jamie Golenbeck, who's the Managing Director of Tax and Estate Planning at CIBC uh, Private Wealth. You know, J uh, Jamie said something very, in uh, I was going to say interesting, uh, germane to what we talk about all the time. The math doesn't lie. Correct. Okay. And so when you're planning for retirement and where, you know, the lifestyle that you want, do the math.
Yeah. The math won't lie to you, right? That's you can right. lie to yourself, but the math isn't going to lie to you. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that. Yeah, I think the biggest issue you're going to have through retirement is going to be the amount of money you pay in tax. That's going to take away from your lifestyle. So we're going to talk about how to bulletproof your retirement and save on taxes the whole time. And that'll be on Tuesday, February 23rd, 7 p.m., live online. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. All right. You ever thought about part of your lifestyle being chartering a yacht Mm. and uh, traveling around? Dare to dream. Stick around after the break because we're going to talk to two people who are doing that. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. You bought that lifestyle. Welcome back here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and more than money. Let's talk lifestyle, my friend. Dare to dream. It's a cold weekend, (laughs) right? And um, we're going to try to take you out of this cold and out of the snow and into some beautiful tropical waters. Okay, so close your eyes. Pretend that we are allowed to travel outside of this country. Yep. And you could pick any island. You could pick any warm spot. But what about the the sea? Sitting on a beautiful yacht and enjoying. Yep. The water, the sun. Okay, I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm there, okay. so I can't You're do there? the show. I'm, I'm now relaxing. <laughs> and that's You're on how your you... own for this, this, this section. And that's how you get rid of Dave Popwich, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. That's how it works. Hey, listen, we are joined uh, by Jim and Judy Brown. They're owner-operators of Sail Dauntless. Um, Jim and Judy, welcome to the show. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having us. Well, you can tell that we're envious of this. Now, listen, this is this is about finance, lifestyle, and retirement. And, you know, it's not uh, often that we get to transport people through the radio right out to the beautiful, wherever it might be, Caribbean waters or wherever we're going to be. But I, w- I want to talk uh, to you guys about this yacht charter business that you, that you have. But I want to start before the yacht. I want to know how you got into this business. Was this a lifestyle choice and you guys left something else? Or have you always been in this business? This isn't the first time we've been dauntless, okay? It's, uh, we've been living aboard for three years, yep. and we've been chartering in um, the Caribbean, yep. up and down the chain, uh, in the Grenadines one season, and the Virgin Islands another season, and uh, we're making a big move. Uh, just want to put it out there this summer to the mm-hmm. Med. So we'll be chartering Italy and Croatia. So we're quite excited about Europe. We're going to Dubrovnik for all the Game of Thrones people out there, which there's a few of them. There's, <laughs> so yeah, I'll give there's you our backstory here. So, so um, in, let me see, what year was it here? In 1995, we purchased a property in western Loudoun County in Virginia, right at the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains. And our first child... We're calling our first child because it took nine months. Was the design of our custom home, right. and we acted as our own general contractor. So this was very dauntless, since no one else in our family ever owned that much land, or um, you know, or built their own house. Yep. So um, Henry, our oldest son, was born a week after we received our occupancy permit. Our younger son, Will, was born two years later, and it was a great place to raise our boys. So that was fabulous for about twenty years or so. And they grew up, and we decided it was time to explore the world. Mm-hmm. So we said, okay, how can we do this? So starting a business with our new floating home has enabled us to do this. Well, that so, sounds like uh, a that, very that, brave yeah. story, I have to tell you. That's fantastic. <laughs> it is brave. <laughs> yeah. so, so, Jim, Jim, when you, when you started out with this whole venture, was it purely for your own retirement, for your own use, or were you always in mind of having a business where you can charter this out for other individuals? 
I retired at 62, and I decided that for my retirement, I wanted to travel the world with Judy and use my past ocean sailing experience, our entertainment skills, and Judy's love for, um, for the culinary skills that she's so good at, that we could turn this into a business mm-hmm. and actually finance our way around the world by sharing these, um, these week-long experiences with our guests. And, and Jim, from your experience, if someone wants to do this in retirement, do, should they just jump right into this? Is there a program or training they should go through before they, because it sounds great what you're doing, but I have a hard time even riding my own bicycle, forget about a yacht. So how would, how would someone that right. has that view that, that you have says, yeah, I, I would want to do that too. What should, what kind of steps should they go through? First, they need to do a lot of research. They need to take a uh, take a week long charter on somebody else's boat, maybe in a vacation spot that they want to go to, whether it's the Florida Keys, the Virgin Islands, or the Med, um, and get a taste of what it's like on a boat for a week. Then, uh, if it's still a go, then take some sailing courses. If if you if they do not know how to sail, uh, take some some courses on the boat that you want to sail on. And then if you're going to start an actual business, you'll have to get licensed as for myself um, in, in the United States. It's a Coast Guard license in Canada. It takes basically the same thing, or they call it a little bit differently. And you'll need, you'll need uh, a few years of um, sea time uh, before you would get your commercial captain's license. And then the crew, um, in this case, Judy's my first mate as well, she had to go through a whole series of safety training courses that that all folks that sail in international waters um, have to take. Um, you know, so everybody who works on the cruise ships, the mega yachts, everybody has to take these international training courses for safety. Uh, once you have all that, um, do your research um, and go out and look for the best boat that you can find. You know, Jim, there's a whole bunch of really cool things that are going on here, and I don't have to tell you that, but as I'm listening to your story, uh, you know, you've, you've combined this, uh, this personal love of sailing with the adventure that you wanted in yeah. retirement, that lifestyle you want. You've combined these things together into an experience. I'd like to know about the experience that you're having. So you guys had some visions and ideas of what this might look like. How's it turning out? Beyond our wildest thoughts. <laughs> Before we got started, um, the um, the adrenaline of uh, leaving the East Coast for the first time, you know, on our on our new boat um, and sailing down to the Caribbean was a uh, life changing event that I did not even anticipate. And I've I've actually worked on the ocean, but when you're out there offshore and it's just you and your wife starting a new adventure. Mm-hmm. Then it's really, it really kind of, it really kind of hits home. Once we got down to the islands, it was really, um, really an uh, exciting for us, challenging every day. Mm-hmm. The uh, the million the million dollar views every morning when you come up out of the cockpit. Uh, the challenges of the weather and Mother Nature, what she throws at you on a daily basis, and um, even more so, meeting all the other folks that are our age, a lot from Canada, 
that are retiring on their boats down in the Caribbean. Right. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily in the charter business, right. but that's their lifestyle that they've selected. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's quite the international uh, exposure when you uh, when you, you meet other folks um, that have taken on our lifestyle. You bet. Jim and Judy, we're going to have to wrap this up. One last question, Jim, for you really quickly. Judy still likes you after all this close contact? <laughs> it's amazing. 33 <laughs> years. <laughs> and we're oh excuse me 34 oh still going strong <laughs> that, that is fantastic to uh-huh. hear jim and judy brown thank you both very much for taking some time out of your beautiful lifestyle and the experience you're having to share it with us we love it and we want to share it with others so thank you for letting us come on wonderful have a good day Bye. You too. That's been Jim and Judy Brown, owner-operators of Sail Dauntless. Um, you can Google that if you're interested in sharing some of that cool retirement experience. But they've combined, what's important here is they've combined a vision of their lifestyle, yep. right? And then a, an engagement model of, of something that they're going to do to stay engaged and entertained Correct. and everything else, right? Correct. That's the hardest part. Yeah. <clears throat> they knew they know what they're retiring to. Right. And that's the hardest part. And that's what people I have a vision of what it might yep. be. And how do you transition? One of the biggest hurdles is, can I afford it? Can I maintain my lifestyle throughout my life? You bet. We're going to answer that question on our webinar on Tuesday, February 23rd, 7 p.m., live online. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Are you shocked and angry by your year-end statements? Stick around after the break. We'll talk about how that might impact your retirement. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Um, you've had lots of conversations this week. Ooh, have I ever. Yeah, which are interesting um, and should form the basis of our conversation here. So good old Canada Post, they do something for us. Mm-hmm. They send their statements uh, of, their, of investments to, the, to their to clients, mm-hmm. and they're opening them up. Sometimes they all come together, and some, some places give them all in dribs and drabs, so you get them over different timing periods. And so the conversations I've been having from listeners of the show, I've been saying, Faisal, I've been looking at my statement, and on the back end of that, of that statement shows how much I paid in fees and what's been the rate of return this year and since inception of that account. And in some cases, listeners of this show have said to me, Faisal, I only made 1%, 2% in this, in, in this account, and they show it to me because mm-hmm. we've done a, yep. a Zoom chat or what have you. <clears throat> and they go, my retirement's destroyed. It's over. I can, I can, how will I be able to retire on 1% to 2%? And I go, is that your entire portfolio? Yep. No, no, no. Is that all of your accounts combined into one? No. Then it's not your entire portfolio. It's only one account. Yeah, but that's my, that's my one account. If that account doesn't grow, I'm not going to retire. I'm, the conversation I keep on having is they're looking at their individual statement they don't like what they see for whatever number it may be, 1%, 2%, whatever number Or the opposite can happen, too. I did 33% in this account. Yeah, I've never had someone say, I did 33%, I can retire well, sooner. Well, they're not complaining about they're it. They're not complaining, yeah. but yeah. they're not saying they're retiring sooner either, right? right? Um, in, in, in many cases, they're showing one account, and they think their entire right. portfolio. Here's what I don't like about our industry. Our industry, regulatory-wise, has to send you a statement at least every three months on how that account is doing. Perfect. That's a good transparency of what's happening in the account. And you can review it at least every three months. At the end of the year, they give you that year-end statement, and they also give you the fees and the rates of return for, for transparency. So you know exactly what you paid and how much you made. Right. I'm okay with that. 
The problem that I, I have right now is there's nothing that consolidates all the person's accounts right. with that advisor or with that investment firm into one so they can see it from a broader view. So they get confused sometimes when they look at one statement and go, what the heck is happening here? And then the anxiety and stress level shoots up. On top of that, they're seeing everything they're seeing in the news. It doesn't work well for people. It can cause them a lot of stress. Yep. And so the question I have for you on this one, Dave, is we've got a lot of listeners who are right now going to be looking at their December end statements of last year and are not happy for either the account or all the accounts combined. What should they do in order to understand where they are before they sit down with their advisor so they can have a good conversation about what the heck happened in 2020? Yeah, okay. So, <clears throat> listen, I, I think before you open up your statements, okay, what I would recommend everybody does is sit down with their spouse if you've got one, <clears throat> and you should write down what your understanding of the goals and the strategies and the objectives were for this year or for that last year. Or what they are, what you explained. What is your understanding of what it is you're trying to invest to do? Make more money, Dave. That's mm -hmm. the number one answer I can tell you right now. Get it. People who are listening just ask that question. Make more money. What's wrong with Mr. Popwich? Yeah, but that you and I both know, and I'm going to speak specifically to a retired audience, that is not the number one objective. Make more money at any cost is not the number one objective. And if it is, you may have experienced something in last uh, March, April, May through that pandemic, that may have been incredibly uncomfortable. Uh, uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So if that is your goal and objective in retirement, you better match your goal and objective to where you are in your life right now. So it doesn't matter what, what, what a person answers, comes back, and the emails that we're going to get as a result of that statement. Before you open it, refresh yourself on what it is you're investing to accomplish. Yeah. And most people will come up blank. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It will be just that. I just, I just want to make more money. Correct. In which case, you can never be satisfied because you can always make more money. Ever. You can never meet that goal. Yeah, that's that's a tough life to lead. It's impossible. You can't do it. So, okay. So once you've done that, if you come up blank, now it's time to sit down and really think about what that objective is. Okay? If you do have an idea, okay, go ahead and open up the, the, uh, the statements. Now, remember, you're getting account statements, right? So the TFSA might have a piece of the overall portfolio strategy versus what's in the RSP versus what's in your non-registered non account. corporate or locked in accounts or... Oh, there's Correct. so many accounts that do so many different, have different objectives, right. different tax rules. So you're going to invest in them differently in on occasion. Correct. So get the consolidated report. That won't be your annual sta the statements, right? Regulatory says you got to get a statement for each account. That's not your strategy. So now you've got to roll it up. Yeah. So either you do that if you're a do-it-yourself or, or you have your advisory team give you a consolidated statement. And then you should be testing it against the objectives and the financial planning that you've done to see if you're on track. Correct. What you say? I don't have a financial plan? Now you've got another problem. Correct. Because how are you going to measure success to that goal if you don't have the objectives set out and the reporting to, to test against? A large portion of Canadians do not have a, a written financial we plan. We almost don't. And the ones that do, don't review it and have it updated at least every three years. Why three years? Okay. We use three years because life changes over three years, yeah. so, so will your goals and objectives. And number two, it gives you as if it was a brand new, fresh start. So you look at your investments and your portfolio every year minimum. 
Then every three years, you make sure that you look at your overall plan and see are you on pace right. or not, or are you going to make any adjustments. Right. And then every five years, you review is the performance of the portfolio matching the plan. Right. Now you're looking and you're leaving benchmarks, or we call KPIs, key performance indicators, on every step of the way so you can bulletproof your retirement. Right. These things don't happen, generally speaking. And so when the, the issue of redoing your your retirement plan, as if you were starting retirement all over again, right. it gives you a fresh look and says, aha, now I know where I am today versus that plan that was made in 1984. And uh, and, and I think, right. I hope it works out. Right. Because the assumptions are going to be different based upon what's happening in the market and the economy and everything else. Right. So think about this. What if, what if you did you use some conservative planning assumptions, Faisal? Mm-hmm. And your plan says you can produce uh, a sustainable income stream of X, whatever that number is. Yep. And three years into the future, you go, and the performance of the portfolio is above the target. What, you, what you target for. Yep. Well, now if you rerun a financial plan in your calculations with your actuals, you may actually get a boost in your lifestyle spending Ta-da. ability. Could you imagine? Who says no to that? Ta-da. Nobody says no to That's that. That's a pension plan. It's a pension plan, exactly. If the pension does better than target, it can give out more income. That's right. Shouldn't your retirement plan do the same thing? Right. I was going to do a piece. I haven't done it yet, but I want to do a piece on when is bad news good news. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and so I think this is an appropriate time to raise that because uh, here's what I want to say. I think bad news is good news when you get the bad news early enough to be able to do something about it. Mm. So let's think about the opposite of what I just said. What happens if the numbers aren't performing in the way that you need them to based on your financial plan three years ago? Okay, we may have a problem, right? But that problem has been identified early enough that you can make changes to the strategy to improve it. I'll tell you when you don't want bad news is when the game's over. When it's too late. When you have to make a substantial difference in your lifestyle just to keep up with your savings. And I'll tell you, most people don't realize this until it's too late. You're absolutely right. I think when by at least reviewing and redoing that retirement plan every three years will give you the comfort knowing where you are on track or not. Yeah. And so when you're opening up your statements and you're looking at December and January now, and you look at those statements, just be aware that it's just a statement of the account, not the overall portfolio. So we want you to look around and say, what's all of my accounts combined? And if you got multiple advisors and yep. multiple inv- you got to consolidate yourself. You're just chosen yourself to be the chief financial officer of your family. Yep. So don't say this account's doing better than that account. So I want to, you've got to have a consolidated view and what's the strategy for each account. And for what, right? What's the and strategy for each advisor to do? And yeah. for each institution. That's like right. you've got to have that plan in place. That's right. If not, you're leaving it up to hope and luck. Right. And I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like leaving anything up to hope and luck. No. I want, I want probabilities of success in my corner. Yeah, correct. And it can be done. Yeah. Right? It, uh, the, the probability, and that's the key word, the probability of success can be calculated. You can make strategic decisions. And none of that means you know what's going on in any given day, right? The markets can do whatever they do on any given day. Correct. The day-to-day movements are less relevant than the overall strategy and the long-term, uh, the long-term focus. Okay. Enough said about that. We got to. We got to. How do you do this, Faisal? Yeah, there's right? a structure. There's a discipline approach. How do you bulletproof your retirement? What I mean by that is you don't have that shock all of a sudden that you're going to run out of money, or you have to substantially change your lifestyle through retirement. And we have seen that where people had to re-retire. Yep. They had to go back to work, make more money, come back. Yes. And we've seen too many people come to us 
in the ninth inning of their of their of their life going now how do i do this right. how do you fix this mess fix this? Yeah. you really can't so we want to fix this problem in advance we want to give that information out to you at our next webinar tuesday february 23rd 7 p.m live online you need to register so go to morethanmoneyradio.com that's morethanmoneyradio.com to register Okay, well, thanks for sticking around and joining us for another edition of More Than Money. We look forward to doing it again with you next week. David Popovich and Basil Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodcundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Basil Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodcundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodcundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.